Oh, how's everyone this morning? Powerful words and a powerful testimony about what God can do in a life whenever that life surrenders before him. It is good really to see each and every one of you and uh, I can see that you're filled with hope that springs almost here. So just keep smiling and praying. Next week, we're supposed to get up maybe in the 55. Spring is coming. But God is good. He is a good father. But what is really important, I think, to say today is we're going to look at one of, I believe, and most people believe, is the most powerful, most touching Jesus story in all of Scripture. It is packed with emotion. It is packed with spiritual truth. And it is convicting at so many different levels. And as we come to this story, it is applicable to each and every person that's here. In the song that the worship team led us in, Reckless Love. The song idea is that God's love is just so wide and so deep and so high that it's called reckless. And that whenever you and I, in Megan's words, were at the end of our rope, that love was there for us. I think of an individual that's here today, that's a member of this church, telling me a few years ago that they lived a reckless, foolish, rebellious, wild, self-centered life. And finally, finally, when they were at the end of their road, God said to this individual, where's everybody at? You're all by yourself now. What are you going to do? And it was in this individual's life in that moment that he came to himself and realized the path that he was on. And he said, Lord, I'm done doing it my way. And he has been in reckless love with that God ever since. Now that's probably a story similar that fits us all. You know, the reality of people that are at the end of their rope feeling hopeless, end of the road, ready to give up, needing God, you would think that religious leaders would be the people that God was working through to bring them, to help them see God, but that's not the case in our story. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1, we learn that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And later on in that same chapter, verse 30, we learn that some of those sinners were prostitutes. So tax collectors, 
prostitutes, sinners, people like you and I, Jesus was eating with, spending time with, doing life with. And then verse 2 comes in with those scribes and Pharisees. They begin to grumble at Jesus, saying to one another, He receives tax collectors and sinners. Now, that's us. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Everyone is a sinner. Those scribes and Pharisees, they were sinners, but they were just too self-righteous. And that got into the way and they didn't realize that they were sinners. And so they looked at the Savior and grumbled against Him because He welcomed, received sinners. Aren't you glad that your Lord and your Savior receives sinners even when you're at the end of your rope and you have done so many things that have shamed Him. He still receives you. And what is so beautiful about this word receive in verse 2 is it's not a word like what we would understand receive. Oh, it's, it's a much deeper meaning. It, it is the idea that you are spending time with. That's what Jesus was doing with these tax collectors and sinners. And it has that presence of Him being with them. But it's much deeper. There is this flavor in this word receive that means that Jesus Himself was waiting. Think about that. Receive and waiting. Put it all together. Scramble it. Because that's what the idea. He was spending time with, sharing the truth, and waiting For these tax collectors and sinners to respond. And it's out of that receiving and waiting that we see these three parables. One, a woman loses a coin and she lights a lamp and sweeps the house until she finds that one coin out of ten. And then she throws a celebration because she found that lost coin and she put it back in the pocket where it belonged. And then the next parable is the story of the shepherd and the lost sheep and the 99 that are safe in the fold, but the shepherd and he goes and finds the lost sheep and carries it back to the fold and celebrates because the sheep that was lost is now found. It's with the shepherd and it's back with the fold. And there's celebration. You see, the point of those first two parables for all of us is Jesus loves the lost. Jesus loves the lost. It's just like it keeps punctuating it. Parable, woman finds a coin, Jesus loves the lost. Parable, the lost sheep, Jesus finds it, Jesus loves the lost. And then we get to the parable of the father and the son and what the ending of that story means to all of us Jesus loves the lost, and so should you. 
But the Pharisees and the scribes weren't feeling the love for the tax collectors and sinners. Church, family, Miss Megan, Patrick, none of us are truly righteous. We are righteous and made whole because of Jesus' love for us. And while others may dispute that, stand in the way of it, grumble about it, let us celebrate what God's done in our lives because when we were worth nothing, offered nothing, He loved us. Are you like that? Are you like that? Because that is what God wants us to see in the story. Do you love like Jesus loved? And so the story opens up. The father has two sons. The younger son is restless, a little rebellious. Definitely very foolish. Goes to the father. Says, I want my share of the estate. And the father gives him his share of the estate. And the son gets together all his stuff. And leaves and goes to a far place. And lives his life his way. And we learn that he squanders everything that he has. In self-indulgence. And there is sin there because verse 30 says he squandered it even in prostitution. And then because of a famine in the land, he becomes needy. Everything that he had, the inheritance, is gone. And now he has to hire himself out. And he begins working for a farmer and he is slopping the pigs. And it's not enough that he's making from slopping the pigs that he's hungry and longing to eat those pods which are basically fruit from a tree in the shape of a horn that they fed to fatten up pigs. Or if you were real poor, that's what you ate. And he's reduced to that life of starvation, hunger, shame, I'm sure, embarrassment. Oh, how the mighty has fallen. Now, that's the way that most of us who've lived any amount of life realize is the way it goes. I'm going to do it my way. And I have the strength, I have the intelligence, I have the ability. I don't need anyone telling me what to do, not even a loving mother or father. Am I the only one in here that went his own way, did his own thing, lived foolish, lived rebellious, sinned? I've got a feeling there's some of you in here today. 
then in verse 17, we see the most important thing that happens in this young man's life when he finds himself at the end of his rope. At the end of his road. The text says, when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses implies that he was out of his senses. When he came to his senses, there was that moment that rational thinking came to him and he was able to look at his life and what he had done and what he was doing and where he was at and say to himself, this isn't a good place to be. And this is what I've done to myself, doing it my way, making my own choices and my own decisions. He came to his senses. At one time or other, if you are a believer, there was a point you came to your senses. This is his point. And as he came to his senses, we see that beginning process of this sinner turning back to the Father. Look what he says. When he came to his senses, he says to himself, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. You see, the Son has to know the Spirit of the Father to even begin to think that after all He's done, that the Father ever wants to see His face again. You know, there's a saying that people often say if after not being in the church a long time, well, I, I, I was afraid that when I walked in, the roof would cave in. Like God's going to punish them for coming into his presence. That's not what you see in this story. It's not what you see in this story. You see, he begins to talk this is the reality. I'm starving. The servants that are with my father, they have plenty to eat, and here I am. So I've got to make a change. There, there's no choice. I've come to my senses. I've seen what I've done. I know what the father has to offer me, and I'm going to go to him, and I'm just going to confess, and I'm going to share, and I'm going to say I'm sorry, and this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to own my sin. I've sinned. Against you, Father. And I've sinned against heaven, Father. God lives in heaven. I've just been a sinner. And he's on his way home. 
But I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, that's, that's confession. That's repentance. But will the father receive him? We know this story. Most of us know this story. We know the father is going to receive the son. And we, we praise the fact that the father receives the son while he's still a sinner. Because that's us. And that's a picture of our God. And that's a picture of our Savior. And it's a picture of God receiving and waiting, waiting, waiting. Do you not realize if you're not His, He's waiting? He's waiting for you? That is the purest form of what a father is to his child. If you've had children and your children are now out of the home, we know the long suffering that we go through as parents, don't we? We've all been there. The father's always waiting. The Father's waiting right now. So if you are here today, I just want you to know if you're at the end of your road or if you're not at the end of the road and you finally come to the end of your road, wherever that is and whatever time that may be, your Heavenly Father is always waiting, always watching. But you have your part in the process and your part is that you come to your senses, that you come to yourself, that you see the reality of your sin and that it separated you from your Father. But you must say, I want to confess to you, Father. I want to return to you, Father. I want a relationship, even though it will be the relationship of a servant or slave. I know what I left. And I'm coming back home to the Father. Just a beautiful picture of confession and repentance. But just thinking it and talking about it is not enough. You've got to do it. You know, in those moments that you are feeling a little melancholy, Maybe there's been a bad relationship between you and a family member or a friend and you've been stubborn too and you're just sort of moved like, I need to step out and make that right. Reach out, call, shoot a text, do something. And then you decide, I'm going to do that. But as the day goes on and you get out of that sensitivity of that place where I believe God probably had you, it's like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's what people often do with their faith. They know that the way they are doing it is failing them. And you know that it's not working. You have no peace and there's an emptiness. And you reach out and you grab and you try this and you try that. And finally, when that becomes not as fulfilling and joyous as it once was, you just spiral down trying to fill what only God can fill. 
this young man got up, got up, and went to his father. Now, I understand that if you had a father that was a jerk, a father that was a creep, a father that wasn't in the picture, that you might not know what a good, good father looks like. This is what a good, good father looks like. He's always waiting. He's always watching. He's always loving. He's always gracious. He's always forgiving. And after the forgiving, he pours blessing in your life. That's a good, good father, spiritually and earthly. And if you don't have that in an earthly father, I pray that you will see God through the eyes of Luke as he shares this story because that is your heavenly Father, your Creator that breathed life into you, who loves you and wants you to quit rebelling and come home to Him. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Filled with compassion. Probably saw the state of the son in the story. Without shoes. Clothes ripped and ragged up. Dirty, dusty, thin. He ran to his son. Threw his arms around him. And kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I don't longer deserve to be called your son. But the text goes on to say that God said it's time to celebrate. He says to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. A ring is definitely a sign of sonship. Look here. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine who was lost is alive again. This son of mine is found. And so they had to celebrate. This morning, out of the many stories from this text, here is the truth for all of us. That we have been hugged by God. He's clothed us in His spiritual garment by washing us in the blood of Jesus Christ. He has lifted and elevated us into the spiritual realm alongside His Son. He has wrapped His arms around us in love. He has put His hand of blessing on us. And therefore, we gather the first day of every week to celebrate and rejoice what God has done in our lives. And like last week, to see Ethan Albeer baptized, the text says there's celebration and rejoicing in heaven. To see Cindy Coles baptized, there's rejoicing and celebration in heaven. You see, The most wonderful, spirit-filled time is often when we see the person that was dead now being brought back to life because they come into the presence of God.
God is still waiting for some of you here. How long does he have to wait? And why not see him as the God when he sees you? Just make the move his direction. He runs. He runs. And I don't think there's a more beautiful picture of our God. So why wait? Why wait? What are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized if you need. Calling on the name of the Lord. Repent. Confess your sin. Turn to God so that times of refreshing may come. You go from a dark place to a place that you're exalted and lifted up. And all because of the gracious love of God. I'm glad that's the God of the Scriptures. I'm glad that's the God I serve. I'm glad it's the God that we worship. And this morning, we get to celebrate another life being saved by the gracious love of the Heavenly Father. So I'm going to ask Yoli to step on out here for just a moment. This is Yoli Olgan, and uh, we're just so happy this morning to share with you after talking last week that she's made the decision to be baptized into Christ and to give her life to him. So, isn't that wonderful? So, Yoli, this is uh, your family. And uh, we are your family. There's a few of them you have to watch out for, and I'll point those out to you later. But Yoli, in all seriousness, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? I believe Jesus Christ is the Savior. And do you accept him as your Lord and Savior? I do. He's in my heart and soul. And with that confession, we're going to baptize Yoli. Church, you can stand with us as we head into our time of worship and celebration. And as always, we celebrate uh, this new life in Jesus Christ. So uh, let's lift up a shout of praise when uh, that moment happens, all right? It's who you are. It's who you are. 
I am.